can tell by looking at a calendar that it's a weekend, a, a holiday weekend, but um, just as we as a society have a calendar that we follow, I don't know if you knew this, but the church has a calendar that it follows. If you grew up in an Episcopalian or a Lutheran or even Presbyterian church, you might know this, but there is an actual calendar that the church follows. And I'm just gonna quickly tell you a little bit about it because today is what we call Pentecost Sunday. So they'll be up here on the screen. You can see this. So this is how it all works out. So around the end of November, beginning of December, we have a season, what we call Advent, right? And that is four Sundays that then lead up to Christmas Day and the Christmas season. And the Christmas season is how many days? You all know this. Who said that? 12. It's 12 days. You all know this, okay? There's a song about this that you all know. That's where it comes from, okay? There are 12 days in the Christmas season, that, right after that. Then you have what's called Epiphany, which is, talks about the first days about the Magi, and then it talks about more about Jesus. That leads up to what we call um, Ash Wednesday, that then leads off into the season of Lent. Lent is 40 days, but it's actually 46 days, because you don't count Sundays. That leads up to the Saturday of Holy Week. And then you have Easter Sunday, and Easter is actually a season of 50 days that ends with today, which is Pentecost, okay? So we're going to talk about this. After uh, Pentecost, after today, the days are then called ordinary time. <laughs> Between now and when Advent starts again in November, I don't know if they didn't, couldn't come up with a good, better name than that or something like that, but it's just called ordinary time, okay? That's what happens starting tomorrow. So now here's the thing about this, though. Pentecost, the day we're celebrating today, was actually a Jewish festival and feast, a holiday. It was a time where they gathered together. It was one of the three sort of feasts or festivals where if you were a good, upstanding Jewish man, you would go to Jerusalem and bring your family oftentimes and celebrate. There's three of them, and this was one of them. It's also called the, the Feast of Weeks, and it's a time where they celebrated the harvest that was happening at the times and, and the harvest that will continue. So it would be a time where lots of people would be in Jerusalem celebrating this, that we, what we call Pentecost. And, uh, and that will be the lead up that we'll get to. So we're going to go back now, though, and we're going to look at Acts chapter 1, if you want to follow along in your Bible. It, uh, really, the going back, and is, it starts with G God creates the world. We have Adam and Eve. There's sin. Jesus comes. He lives his perfect life. He is uh, crucified, and then he is raised from the dead. And then we get this here in Acts chapter 1, where Luke kind of continues his gospel. Here's what he says in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Have you ever thought what those 40 days were like? How, how amazing would that be to be with the risen Christ for 40 days and he's teaching you about the kingdom of God. You're just sitting there listening to him. We don't have, they didn't write it down. But what would that have been like? So amazing. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them his command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. 
For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, at this time are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Lord, is this when you're going to kick out the Romans? Is this when you're going to have our, our kingdom back together, our country back together? Is this the time? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you to heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go to heaven. So there's a few things we learn about the Holy Spirit here in this beginning of what Jesus is when he's talking to his disciples. The first thing is this. It's a gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift from God to us, to the church. It's not something we can manufacture. It's not something that we can make happen. It is a gift that God gives to us. Jesus also says that it is powerful. He says that you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. And so the Holy Spirit is powerful. It is a gift. But we also have to remember this. The Holy Spirit is a person. Not just some out there power, but he is part of the Trinity. So you've got God the Father, you have God the Son, and you have God the Holy Spirit. And he's actually a person, not just a power. It's crucial to remember this. There are other times earlier when Jesus would be with his disciples and he would describe the Holy Spirit and he used phrases like, the Holy Spirit is an advocate, one that would come alongside you, a counselor, one that would be with you. He also said that it is the spirit of truth, that if you want to know what is true, the Holy Spirit can teach you what is true. One other time, Jesus actually said to his disciples, hey, you know what, guys? It's better that I leave you because then the Holy Spirit will come. Can you imagine that? Wait a minute, Jesus. It's better for you, for us, if you leave us. But we've seen you do this amazing things. We can walk with you. We can talk with you. All that. I often think how great it would be to be at that time with Jesus. But Jesus says, no. It's actually better for me to leave because the Holy Spirit will then come and be with you. And the way this all works in, in terms of this time is that Jesus is resurrected. And then there are those 40 days when he's with his disciples. And then he leaves and ascends into heaven. And then there are 10 more days while they wait to see what happens. He's told them, wait here in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Can you imagine what those days must have been like? Okay, day one. Nope, nothing happened. Day two. Nope. Okay, day three. Four, five, six, seven, eight. One thing we have to learn about God often, and you probably have learned this, is that God is not in a hurry. He's got his reasons. And God's timing is actually perfect. Actually perfect. So in Acts chapter 2, here's where it all happens. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, that's that Jewish holiday, when all the people from all the Middle East would come into Jerusalem, 
they were all together, the disciples, in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So they're waiting. It's day 10. And all of a sudden, the gift comes. And it is a gift that comes on them. And the words that used to describe it are words that are used to describe God in the Old Testament. It's, it's a wind and it's fire. And so we know that this is God's working and this is the Holy Spirit. And it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Continues in verse 5, and it says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Right? It's Pentecost. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Very interesting. That's what these tongues are that these Galileans are speaking. It's different languages that people are hearing. And they're hearing their language being spoken. Then it says this. It says, um, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these all who are speaking Galileans? How is it then that each of us hears our language in our native language? And then it lists 15 different people, groups, and nations that are there in Jerusalem that hear their language being spoken. And I know some of you that are, have been with me for a while come to church just to hear me mispronounce the names of, thing, of these nations and stuff. I, I know it. I, I, it's, it's a problem I have. I didn't do well in spelling in third grade. It's, it's something that's just there. But I'm not going to say all these names. Just trust me. There's 15 of them from all over the Middle East, okay? And then they say this. We hear them declaring, this is beautiful, the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they said to one another, what does this mean? Surely, however, some made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. And then Peter stands up and he says, look, these guys are not drunk because it's only 9 a.m., which doesn't say a lot about the disciples, actually. It's kind of like, hey, if it was three or four, maybe, but it's 9 a.m., no, don't worry about them. But, but then Peter quotes from uh, the prophet Joel, and he says this. He's, he's Old Testament prophet. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this prophecy from the Old Testament says that the Spirit will come on people and come on everyone. Will come upon young and old and male and female. That it's not just for one particular group or one person. It is for everybody. And it comes upon everybody. And so this working of the Holy Spirit and this speaking in the different tongues of the nations gathers a crowd 
And this is one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. Uh, Dale Bruner, who's a, a professor and, and a theologian, calls the Holy Spirit the shy member of the Trinity. That, that the Holy Spirit's job is not to gain attention to himself, but all he wants to do is point to Jesus. And so we see this happening here and these crowd is gathers around and Peter stands up and he gives a, a message that's a pretty simple gospel message about Jesus. And yet at the end of it, the people say, what must we do to be saved? They are cut to the heart. And, G and Peter says, repent and believe and be baptized. And 3,000 people come to the Lord. And the church just explodes in numbers. It's amazing. The book of the Bible that all of this is found in is what we call Acts. Uh, sometimes in, in different translations, we'll call it the Acts of the Apostles. But I would submit to you that actually it really should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Because this is what you see happening. The Holy Spirit moves the church in Jerusalem and then to Judea, Judea and then Samaria, and then to the very ends of the earth. That it is the work of the Holy Spirit and the movement of the Holy Spirit that does this. One of the first things that happens is that Peter and John, two of the apostles, are out and they heal a man who uh, couldn't walk. And uh, after they do this, they get a crowd and they start talking about Jesus again and the religious leaders don't like it and so they arrest Peter and John and they bring him in and they start questioning him, them and tell them, you know, you need to stop talking about Jesus and you need to do all these things. And then it says that Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked at all of them and said, look, whether we stop talking about Jesus or not, we can't stop. We have to do what God has called us to do. And they also say that they noticed that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and yet they had been with Jesus and that they were different in some way. It's because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So they kind of tell him not to do this, then they let him go. And Peter and John then go back and they reunite with a group of people that had been praying for them and they're sitting in a, in a small house. And they pray this incredible prayer and then in Acts chapter four, verse 31, it says this. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Again, that's kind of the fireworks of the Holy Spirit, I would say. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that there were no needy persons among them for from time to time. Those who owned the land or houses sold them, brought the money in the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. There's about four things I see the Holy Spirit does in this little section. The Holy Spirit fills them, right? They're praying, the house shakes, and it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the first thing it says that the Holy Spirit does, it enables the disciples to speak the word of God boldly. You probably know this, but you know, 50 days before this, before Pentecost, uh, right before Jesus, uh, when he was arrested, Peter is following along in the shadows, he gets into the courtyard as, uh, as Jesus is being tried and, and all that. And, and three times people say to Peter, hey, you're one of his followers, right? And he's like, no, 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 not me, not me. 
And yet here we see him 50 days later, after the resurrection, after the infilling of the Holy Spirit, he speaks the word of God boldly and 3,000 people come to know Jesus. And here's what it means for you and I. I need the Holy Spirit to speak the word boldly. My natural tendency is to shy away, to not offer, yeah, you know, Jesus means something to me. I am like a Peter before the resurrection and Pentecost. I need the Holy Spirit to help empower me to actually speak the word well in my everyday life. That's what I need. The second thing I see in this is this. It says that the Holy Spirit makes believers one in heart and mind. So this is, a, as, as I was studying for this message, a really interesting thought many theologians and Bible scholars come up with is they say that Pentecost is the reversal of the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel happens back in Genesis chapter 11, right at the beginning of the Bible. You might remember this. All the people that God has created are together. They all speak the same language. They start to learn how to make bricks and they start building a tower. And they start building this tower. And their idea is we want to build a tower so high that it will get up into the heavens. And they're doing this. And this is why they say they're doing this. So that we can make a name for ourselves. This is what people want to do. And so sure enough, they start doing it. They're communicating well. They're doing all these things. God comes down. He looks. He says, oh, look what they're doing. And so what he does is he confuses their language, changes all their language. And they begin to scatter because they can't communicate with each other. So Pentecost is the exact opposite. Pentecost is people that have different languages all hear the same message, and they're all drawn together. And we read in this section here that all the believers were one in heart and mind. And one of the great prayers of Jesus is that we as the church would be unified. It's one of his greatest desires that you and I would be unified, and we need the Holy Spirit in order to do that. You know, I have loved how this merger between these two churches has gone. It has been really one of the great things of my last 10, 15 years to watch what happens here. And my prayer, though, this week at an elders meeting was this. Lord, very quickly... May it be that we don't talk about baseline and grace, but we only talk about Hope City. That that is who we are moving ahead. That we would be that unified as one group. That yes, we remember who we were, we remember where we've come from, but that doesn't matter so much. Because the Holy Spirit has knit us together as one and we're moving ahead. Amen. Thank you. So the Holy Spirit makes us one in heart and mind. Then the third thing I see here is that the Holy Spirit, he says, it says, powerfully works God's grace in believers. Do you know that as a believer in Jesus, if you have decided to follow after him, that you need God's grace more than any other time? You continually need God's grace to be at work in you. That God is not done with you yet. And it says that the Holy Spirit powerfully works God's grace in us. You know, um, and we know this, right? Because we see that one of the things that the Holy Spirit does for sure is it produces the fruit of the Spirit. 
that God wants to produce in each one of us, love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That that's what God wants to produce in us, and he does that through his spirit. I was, um, a couple of weeks ago, I had uh, lunch with uh, some high school friends. We we're very, very close in high school and college. Uh, we just kind of drifted apart, hadn't seen each other in like 30 years. So we got together and caught up. And one, and the one friend, his dad had passed away about 12 years ago, and I knew his dad well. And he said that he had gone to visit his dad when his dad was fighting cancer and was near the end. And he said to his dad, Dad, what, what's, what's it all about? What's, what's life all about? And his dad said, you know what? Let me, let me think about that, and let's get together tomorrow. So they got together the next day, and my friend said, well, Dad, what do you think? And his dad said one word. This is what it's all about, character. That it's all about what God wants to do in us to create the type of Christ-centered character that we know we want to have. And that only happens through the Holy Spirit. And then the final thing from this that the Holy Spirit does is it causes believers to give ourselves away. Give ourselves away. And here it specifically talks about they giving their finances away. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be an amazing thing that if we as the church and as believers were so filled with the Holy Spirit that we could give away what we could give away. So it said that there were no people in need. That would be powerful. But even more so than just our finances, but just giving ourselves away. Giving our, our work and our time and our talents away. That as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're able to give ourselves away. It causes us to be people who are generous. So how do you know if the Holy Spirit's at work in your life? How do you know if you're actually filled with the Holy Spirit? A couple things I'd say is this. One, you see God's Spirit working his fruit in your life. Growing your character, changing you. It's a slow process. It doesn't happen overnight. But slowly over time, as the Holy Spirit works in us, we are changed and we are different. And we can look back and go, you know what? I'm not the same person I was a year ago. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. Because the Holy Spirit is working in my life. And then the other way you can really tell is, are you using your gifts that God has given you to build up the kingdom of God and the church? Do you have a passion to help build this kingdom, to be a part of what God's doing here in our church and using who you are and what God has given you to do that? Those are the ways we can really tell that God's spirit is in us and that we're filled. So the days after Pentecost, after today, are called ordinary time. And I, I think it's exciting, all the kind of fireworks that the Holy Spirit can do and tongues of fire and all those sort of things. But really, it's about experiencing the Holy Spirit in our ordinary days. So the, the title of this uh, sermon is just Pentecost Sunday. Um, so Natalie, who's our graphics person, she does all the slides for that stuff. And I was gone earlier in the week, and so I texted her on Monday. I said, hey, Natalie, I got two ideas for you. Boring idea, not boring idea. 
Now, I should have done this another week earlier, okay? I just have to tell you, I was a little late in getting this tour, but I said, boring idea, just call it Pentecost Sunday. And I said, whatever's easiest you can do, easiest. But I said, non-boring idea. What if we called this flaming tongues for ordinary time? (laughs) Flaming tongues for ordinary time. Tongues of fire for ordinary time. Because I don't know about you, but in my ordinary days, I need the Holy Spirit. Fireworks are great and important at times. But man, I just need the Holy Spirit each and every moment of my day so that I can, I can share about Christ and who he is in my life. So I can be a part of a community and, and, and be a part of creating the unity in that church. So that, that I can experience the, the Holy Spirit really working God's character deep into me and so that I can actually give myself away to others because my natural tendency is not to do those things. Here's my prayer for us and my hope is that you will be praying this. It's, it's, it's simple. It's, it's Holy Spirit, I'm open to you. What, what, do you, what do you want to do in me personally? And, and then also, Lord, what do you want to do in this church? What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to fill our church? You know, every Sunday we meet back behind these walls in our offices and we, and we pray as a worship team and as people speaking and all that. And every week... Our prayer is always, Holy Spirit, have your way with us today. Use us as we sing. Use us as we preach. Use us as we sing, say scripture and pray. But it's, it, the only way it makes any difference is if the Holy Spirit really is here. That we don't come to watch a performance. We don't come just to appreciate the worship team. But we come with an anticipation that God's Spirit is going to move here today and may we do that every day let me pray for us so Lord it is our prayer that you would fill us on this Pentecost Sunday for sure but Lord also every ordinary day we have from Monday to Saturday and Sunday that you Lord would fill us Enable us to be your people. Help us to be a church that makes a difference. Help us, Lord, to be a part of what you're doing in your kingdom. Help us to grow the character, Lord, that you want us to have. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be here, fill us, empower us, speak truth to us. Thank you so much for your spirit. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.